Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 320. I uh, got a haircut. I think I look kind of like either Commander Shepard from Mass Effect or Aaron Paul's character from Breaking Bad, a show I've never seen, but I look like a guy with a, a shaved head, whatever you want to call that. Uh, I just got tired of the curls, tired of the maintenance, wanted to do something different. Here we are. I think it's the shortest I've ever had my hair on the show. And I got to say, I love it. It feels really good to not have long hair. I have no maintenance. Maybe got to blend it a little better. I don't know, but I, I like it. I'm happy. And as you guys know, I don't really care how I look on the show at all. Uh, I dress in Hawaiian shirts and flannels, and I just could not care less about how I look. Um, on today's episode, we're going to talk about Dwayne Haskins. Uh, he got released by Washington. We'll talk about the Raiders. We'll talk about the Packers. We'll talk about Mitchell Trubisky, the Bears quarterback. He's got the biggest game of his life coming up ahead. We'll talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're playing the Browns. Week 17, a huge game coming up. We'll talk about the NFL playoffs. We'll talk about a lot more stuff up ahead. Uh, I do want to talk about Christmas weekend very briefly. First of all, I hope you had a fantastic Christmas. I know COVID's going on. So however you spent your weekend with family, alone, however it worked out for you, hope you had a great one. I uh, I don't want to talk too much about non-sports related stuff, but I do want to share a story that I think a, a small amount of people might find relatable. And if nothing else, you get to know me a little bit better. Uh, my family's very fractured. Uh, and I, the result of that means that I went to five different Christmas related events, uh, you know, my mom, my dad, uh, extended family, other parts of my family, my girlfriend's family, uh, just I, you know, parents are divorced. It's kind of a mess. So I, I just, I, I cannot recommend enough to not do that. Do not have a Christmas where you go to five events. It's not fun. It's, that's not true. Like I'm with my family. I love my family. I guess really the context here is that I, I consider myself a, an extreme introvert, meaning that people, even my family, wear me out tremendously, right? I, I'm pretty good going out. I've done meetups for Strong Abandoned Sports, like done a meet and greet in Utah before. And I, I don't live in Utah, but I went there. I called a game. I met a bunch of people there. And it was great. Like, I'm pretty good at meeting people and having conversations. But end of the day, like, people wear me out. I need alone time. I need downtime. And I completely overdid it at Christmas. I had five days in a row seeing people and, you know, doing all kinds of not, you know, just hanging out, eating food, talking, conversating. Oh my goodness, it wore me out. And so I just, if you're an introvert like I am and people wear you out, like you might be good with people, but if you're a person who seeing other human beings makes you feel exhausted, I cannot recommend enough. Do not have a Christmas where you go to five different events. Even if it's people you love, it'll wipe you out, wear you out. And that's how my Christmas went. Again, good time, got great gifts, got to see people, got to hug people. COVID's going on, so shh, don't tell anybody that I went to different events. I'd probably get in trouble in Washington. I don't know. I love my family. I'm not going to not see them. And it was it was a good time. It just really, really made me tired. I want to start today by talking about, oh, man, a story that makes me very, really sad, honestly. Um, the Washington football team released their quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. He's a second-year quarterback out of Ohio State, and it's pretty rare for a guy drafted in the first round to be, I mean, especially a quarterback drafted in the first round, to be released less than two full years into their career. It's kind of crazy. Almost never happens. And I really, you know, I, the word almost is funny because I almost didn't want to even make this topic. Like, I almost didn't want to talk about it, but I'm like, well, I have to because people are going to want to hear an updated thought of some kind. I've covered Dwayne Haskins a lot this year in, in the offseason, and I feel like I've talked about him a bunch. And the reality is that, like, I could tell you that he's he made mistakes here and there, and I, I could list all the things he's done wrong, but the reality is that Dwayne Haskins just makes me very, very sad, uh, disappointed, and, man, I, like, look, he, he dug his own grave. Dwayne Haskins made mistakes off the field. He made mistakes on the field. Uh, poor play, poor decision-making in every facet of his career. And, uh, like, he was a guy who was immature off the field. You know, he got in trouble, had COVID violations, had all kinds of stuff. He looked unprepared week-to-week -week playing in games. I don't know what's going on with the guy. Uh, I, I wondered at times, like, where's his dad? Because you would think somebody would be in his ear telling him, hey, dude, you, you got to understand the opportunity you've been given in the NFL 
And, I mean, Dwayne Haskins is a guy who has a lot of talent, who only started one year in college, who came in a little bit, I think, too early to the NFL and clearly was unprepared for the responsibility of being an NFL quarterback. And it, 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 I don't know how you look at this, and it doesn't make you sad because it's a guy, again, who it's a missed opportunity. And I know people are angry and, you know, Washington fans are like, screw this guy. He, like I, from, on a human being level, I just, I, I look at him and go, man, he's going to have a hard journey. Like he's, he's very rich and that's really cool. Um, I, I know he bought his mom a house. I hope he, you know, bought it in cash. I hope it's paid for. <sighs> I, I don't know. Just on the, I, I think he's going to have a hard journey. I don't know whether he's going to get another opportunity on another team. You would think that some team's going to take a chance on him. But the biggest red flag you can have for a quarterback is that he's not a good decision maker, that he's immature off the field. And he appears to be that kind of guy who like throws the ball well enough to be an NFL quarterback, but throwing the ball is not at all what it takes to be a quarterback. And um, I, I don't know, man, it's concerning. I know that when he came into the league, the rumor was that the owner wanted him, but the coaching staff did not. And it was kind of a a problem from the start and Dwayne Haskins never really um he was never like very impressive at all in Washington and it's just a, a sad story of a guy who I think again didn't understand the responsibility it takes to be an NFL quarterback and I think wasted an opportunity and, and I, here's where I feel sad I know a lot of people are going to come down very hard on this guy and say and look he did again Dwayne Haskins made a lot of mistakes he went to parties he went to or something Strippers were at some kind of event he was at. He wasn't wearing a mask. Like, that's just stupid. During COVID, you know what's going on in the world. You know you can't have that happen. You're an NFL quarterback, uh, you know, signing or taking pictures during the game while it's not over, bragging about your stats during a loss. Like, all kinds of stuff happened during Dwayne Haskins' um, ugly tenure as a quarterback for Washington. It didn't work out. And uh, I just, my fear is he's going to look back when he's 30 years old and go, man, I should have done so many things differently, right? Like, you can't really have hindsight now when you're a young guy uh, in your second year in the NFL. But when he's 30, I've heard Vince Young talk about his career. Now, Vince Young talks about how he just did not take it seriously enough and didn't do enough stuff off the field and wasn't prepared enough and regrets. He's got tremendous regret about how his career worked out. And so does Jamarcus Russell. So does Matt Leinerts talk about that. Like, there's a lot of quarterbacks who look back in their career and go, I just did not do enough work to be prepared when I got my moment to play. And unfortunately, that is exactly the story of Dwayne Haskins, a guy who repeatedly did not look prepared on the field. And uh, I just, anybody who's going to look back on their life with regret, I feel bad for. So you can be angry. I feel bad for Dwayne Haskins. Uh, and I, like, again, I don't I don't feel bad in the way that, like, yeah, he, he chose his path. He made bad decisions. But it's sad to see a guy who's I think is going to regret the path he took years later down the road in his life. And probably right now, he's sitting at home feeling regret, even now, in this moment, probably going, man, I should have done X, Y, and Z to be more successful. And I, I think that's incredibly sad to see a guy do that in the NFL. Now, let's shift gears. Let's talk about uh, Miami. Let me drink some water real quick first. On Saturday, the Miami Dolphins beat the Raiders 26-25. to Kind of a weird... Weird game all around. Miami pulled their quarterback to a tongue of Aloha. Uh, they were down three points with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter, like really 9.47 left. And they put their backup quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who used to be their starting quarterback in the game. And Ryan Fitzpatrick led them to a win. So weird, like already the game's weird because you took your starting quarterback out, you put in your backup, and they both, I think Tua and Ryan both had a touchdown pass. They both played somewhat okay, but there were moments where Ryan Fitzpatrick made throws downfield that I go, I just don't think Tua is able to make that throw yet. Uh, he had a great throw against cover two, uh, right down the middle between two safeties. I went, that's just a that's that's a, a veteran quarterback understanding NFL defenses a little bit better than Tua. And so uh, apparently Tua is their starting quarterback. Continuing on, uh, they play Buffalo next week in a huge game. Pretty much Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo's twelve and three. Miami's ten and five. Miami has to win a game at Buffalo. And I don't know that Tua's the right guy to help you win that game. Quite frankly, like it, Ryan Fitzpatrick might be the right guy to start in that situation if you want to make it into the playoffs, but I, I'm very torn there. And also, I walked away going, like, I, I want to see Ryan Fitzpatrick in a broadcasting booth at some point. I, I, I think he's, I, when I watch Tua play, 
I can only imagine what Ryan Fitzpatrick is thinking in his head going like, oh, you should do X or Y or Z or do this or that. And I'm sure they're having conversations in the headset. I For that reason, I, it made me think like I would love to see Ryan Fitzpatrick broadcast football when his career is over. Uh, but Fitz had this crazy throw with 19 seconds left to set up the game-winning field goal for Miami. We'll talk about that again in a minute. But we first need to talk about the Raiders. Uh, the Raiders lost to Miami. Las Vegas, the Raiders are now 7-8. and eight. They uh, missed the playoffs again this year. And the blame has got to go on John Gruden, their head coach. Uh, I... I like John Gruden. I think there have been moments where he's done a good job preparing his team to play. I thought that the highlight of the year for the Las Vegas Raiders was beating the Kansas City Chiefs. They looked very well prepared. They had a great game plan. Uh, But again, this loss to Miami has got to go on the coach. And the recent failures by the Raiders has to go on John Gruden. But I want to be clear. If you're going to blame John Gruden for the loss, make sure you do it for the right reason. So... All the attention after this game has gone on to John Gruden's late game decision-making against Miami, where the Raiders had the ball first and goal on the eight-yard line with a minute and 55 seconds left. And the Raiders chose to not score a touchdown. Uh, they had, I mean, they had, first of all, they had their running back, uh, Josh Jacobs, literally take a knee on the one-yard line. He slid down to avoid scoring. They did not want a touchdown. It would have given them a six-point lead because they had they were down... Uh, gosh, they were down 24 to 25, so they didn't want to have a six-point lead. They wanted to take as much time off the clock as possible. Then on third and goal, Derek Carr literally kneeled to continue to run the clock down. And uh, they kicked a field goal, giving them a 25 to 23 lead with 19 seconds left in the game. And I, people are critical of this strategy. Like, ah, you should have done other stuff. You should have taken the touchdown. You should have done whatever. Coulda, woulda, shoulda, say whatever you want to say. I don't think this is the reason to criticize John Cruden. Every once in a while, you have a strategy that is a good strategy that simply doesn't work. I I play a video, uh, what is it? Not a video, a tabletop game, like a a board game called Settlers of Catan. I'm a giant nerd, and my family, we all played it during Christmas. And I had a great strategy of putting my game pieces on the the number eight, meaning that if you have two dices, you have a, a high percentage chance of rolling an eight. Like you would think, yeah, it's literally a six and eight are two of the highest, six, eight, and seven are like the highest possible things you could roll when you're rolling two dice. And eights just never got rolled. Like I waited and waited. My whole strategy revolved around rolling an eight with these two dice and it didn't happen. And I don't know the, the the probability or whatever. I just know that on paper, that's a good strategy. Like eight gets rolled all the time. And in this game, it was an anomaly. It didn't happen. And that happens sometimes. Every once in a while, you have a good strategy that for one reason or another, there's an anomaly and it doesn't work out. And in this game, what happened was Ryan Fitzpatrick made a crazy throw with 19 seconds left on the left sideline hit as he threw. It also drew a penalty, so it made it a 49-yard gain. Uh, So that set up a a game-winning field goal with seconds left to give Miami the lead and the win. And so if if you want to criticize the Raiders and and their head coach, John Gruden, go ahead. But I don't think the late-game strategy is the reason why you should criticize John Gruden, because I thought that the strategy to run out the clock and kick the field goal, like, it's a good strategy. Normally, that would work. Here's what, here are the two reasons why you should criticize John Gruden for losing this game. Number one, 19 seconds left in the game. You have a busted coverage down the left sideline. That cannot happen. You cannot have a wide receiver wide open the way that the Miami receiver was on the final play of the game. Like it, you just cannot have a busted coverage in that moment. And the Raiders' defense has had problem after problem after problem. They fired their defensive coordinator. They just, they're a mess on defense. And... You can blame the defensive coordinator all you want, but at some point, the buck stops with the head coach, and you just cannot have the mistakes that keep being made on defense by the Raiders, and that's got to go on John Gruden. Like, criticize him for that. And then criticize John Gruden for the fact that his team went 0 for 10 on third down. That's awful. How do you how do you expect to win a game when you do not have a single third down conversion the entire game? You have sacks, you have incomplete passes, you have all kinds of reasons why they didn't make it happen on third down, but they went 0 for 10 on third down in this game. It's unacceptable, and you can't expect to win. Like, they were 1 for 4 in the red zone. I mean, they had one touchdown in the four times they were in the red zone in this game. They had to keep settling for field goals, and I 
if you're going to criticize John Gruden, a guy who's supposed to be this offensive guru and offensive mind, criticize him for the fact that his team was awful on third down and then the fact that his team busted a coverage down the left sideline at the very end of the game in a key situation. But don't blame him and be mad at him for the strategy, which was a good strategy that simply did not work. Now, a lot of people are saying the Raiders should fire the red coach, John Gruden. I think anybody who says that is either not really a Raiders fan because then you don't know your team and clearly is not aware of the situation in Las Vegas where John Gruden is three years into a 10-year contract. He's going nowhere. They owe him, they gave him a 10-year, $100 million contract. There's just, John Gruden's not going anywhere. Stop, stop. Anybody who's saying that they should fire John Gruden clearly does not understand the situation in Las Vegas. And so, um, I don't know, if, if any of your friends are saying, ah, oh, yeah, John Gruden is at work and fire the guy, uh, they can't. <laughs> they have, they're on the hook for a lot of money and they're going to have to stay patient with John Gruden. And by the way, he's had some blunders. There have been some moments this year where the Raiders have done stuff that I, I cannot support and I think are terrible. But all in all, like, the Raiders are headed in a good direction. they got good young players. They're building their roster. They've drafted well. So, I don't know. I think people are very quick to hate on John Gruden, and I, I don't blame him. Like, he's made some mistakes and done some dumb stuff, some frustrating stuff this year. But you look at, okay, they're dealing with COVID. They're, they got all kinds of problems everywhere. And I'm just, I have patience for John Gruden, where I think a lot of other people don't. Now, I'm biased. I like him. I don't pretend to not be biased. I am, I'm incredibly biased to John Gruden. I love the guy. I really like him as a personality. He's got flaws at the coaching position. He's a... He, he appears to be an average coach, uh, but he has won a Super Bowl. He can rest his laurels on that, and he's not going anywhere. So if you're a Raiders fan, all you can do is continue to give John Gruden patience and wait until, really just wait to see what happens in Vegas because John Gruden's not going anywhere. Uh, but what you can do, if you're going to criticize John Gruden, criticize him for the right reasons. Criticize him for their awful defense. Uh, they got to figure that out. They cannot continue to blow coverages, especially not with 19 seconds left on the left sideline in a game like they did against Miami. And then be heavily critical of the design and the play calling on third down because, my goodness, uh, you can't be 0 for 10 on third down in any game and expect to win. That's just terrible. That's awful. Uh, where is Henry Ruggs? There have been moments where I'm like, you, you, you drafted Henry Ruggs in the first round, and he's just not been the constant playmaker I hoped he would be. And so there are a lot of reasons to be frustrated with the Raiders, but I just don't think that the criticism of the strategy late in the game to run down the clock and kick the field goal, I thought that was a sound strategy. It just didn't work. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about the Packers. We'll talk about the Titans. We'll talk about Mitchell Trubisky and the, hmm, the, the biggest game of his life is coming up. And then later we'll talk about the Colts, the Steelers, the Browns, the NFL playoffs, and a lot more down the road. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. I, uh, I got a secret to tell you guys. This is not a sponsorship, but I have a sponsorship I'm working on behind the scenes because there's a product I uh, have recently fallen in love with that is the key to me staying awake. I, I don't know if you guys know, I work like crazy hours and I'm up all the time and I'm constantly watching football and I... I mean, I, I literally operate on like five hours of sleep pretty much all the time. In fact, about, you know, I, I heard about Cam Newton's uh, sleep schedule and I went, oh, well, yeah, that's actually oddly similar to mine. <laughs> uh, and not really. I'm probably up later and then I wake up later. So his, but shifted back, you know, four or five hours. Uh, but I, I got to say, there's this product I really have fallen in love with that I'm working very hard behind the scenes to make a sponsor. But I, I want it to be clear, like I, I love the product already. And when they become a sponsor, their sponsorship is legitimate. Like, my passion for the product is real. And so uh, I hope I can eventually tell you what said product is. It's kind of honestly the best way I've ever found to inject caffeine to my body uh, where there's not – it's not a lot of sugar. It's not coffee, which makes my body, you know, acid reflux really bad. I found this thing that makes my uh, – makes me able to get caffeine in a very helpful way uh, in a drink. So we'll talk about that hopefully someday. For now, that'll be the tease. Uh, really, really fun, nerdy stuff. I want to talk about this. On Sunday night football, the Packers beat the Titans 40-14. to 14. Uh, You know, they won by 
26 points. So that's that's a lot. Uh, now, the snow was very, very cool. The snow on Lambeau Field. I loved it. Had a great time. And in my opinion, this game legitimized the Green Bay Packers for me, in my eyes, where Aaron Rodgers was 21 for 25 passing, had 231 yards, four touchdowns, had an interception late in the game. Eh, didn't really affect the game at all. Devontae Adams, a star receiver for Green Bay, had 11 catches for 142 yards, three touchdowns. By the way, he could break a Green Bay Packers uh, record, three of them, uh, in their single season receiving records. He could break the touchdowns in a season record, the catches in a season record, and the yards in a single season record. Uh, He needs four catches, 192 yards, and two touchdowns next week to break all three records in the Green Bay Packers kind of you know, the way they keep their records. Here's why the game legitimized the Packers in my mind. I went, man, they played a really good Titans team, a team that is a likely a playoff team. They're right now the number four seed in the AFC, and they dominated them. Their defense shut them down. Uh, They threw the ball very, very well. They ran the ball very, very well. Basically, the Green Bay Packers have the ability to do, to, to beat you really any way they want. They can beat you with defense. They can beat you with offense. They can beat you throwing. They can beat you running. And the Packers are a team that they're 12-3 and right now. They're fighting hard to get the number one seed in the NFC. And they are a team that has a chance to win a Super Bowl. They dominated the Tennessee Titans. They won by 26 points. They pulled away at the end. And uh, I I walked away very, very impressed with the Green Bay Packers. Now, I also want to say another takeaway from this game was that clearly in my mind, the NFL draft in 2020 – was all about the future for Green Bay. And a lot of people criticized their draft picks. They drafted a quarterback and a running back, which people said, well, they already have a running back, Aaron Jones. They already have a quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. Now, in this game against Tennessee, the Packers' rookie running back, A.J. Dillon, ran for 124 yards and two touchdowns. And their starting running back, quote-unquote, Aaron Jones, had 94 yards rushing on way fewer carries. And again, I go back to people were so critical. Why would you draft A.J. Dillon? Why would you draft Jordan Love? Why would you draft a running back and a quarterback when you already have those positions filled on your roster? Here's why. The Green Bay Packers are building for the future. Someday, they're not going to have Aaron Jones. Someday, they're not going to have Aaron Rodgers. They wanted people to run their system, which they are building a system in Green Bay to run the football and hopefully throw the ball well when they can. Uh, And Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love, I think, from a the, the ability to throw the football, they're both gifted throwers of the football. And while there's no hurry to play Jordan Love, I think it might be literally a couple of years before we see him play, they wanted to prepare for the day they don't play and don't have Aaron Rodgers on their football team. Whenever that day comes, they got a guy getting ready right now in their building. And I, I think the Packers drafted Jordan Love because they felt like, man, this is a guy with a special skill set. We cannot believe he. we have an opportunity to draft him in the first round. They traded up, I think, two spots to get him. And I just think that people need to give this draft class a little bit of slack for the Green Bay Packers. We've seen, hey, A.J. Dillon, wow, he's capable of a lot. And I think someday, could be two, could be three years from now, we'll see, oh, yeah, Jordan Love, the quarterback they drafted in the first round in 2020 out of Utah State, is also capable of a lot. So I am begging people, have some understanding. The Packers drafted what they did in the first, you know, their first and second pick in the 2020 NFL draft because they had vision for the future because someday they realized we're not going to have Aaron Jones and we're not going to have Aaron Rodgers. Now let's talk about the Tennessee Titans. They lost to Green Bay. They lost by 26 points to the Packers on Sunday night football. Again, had fun in the snow, loved the snow game. Uh, And my takeaway from the Titans was that Tennessee's a good football team. They're a good team. They've had a good year. Uh, They're 10-5, and and they are a playoff team probably that— so they're probably a playoff team, but they are a good team that will not win a Super Bowl. And that's okay. That's fine to me. Uh, We've learned that Tennessee has limitations. We've seen it all year where they cannot win a game when they have to only throw the football. They rely on their running game. They rely on play action. Uh, They have severe limitations on defense. They cannot pressure a quarterback. They could not guard Devontae Adams to save their lives on Sunday. And so, well, I I really like Ryan Tannehill. I think I'm higher on Ryan Tannehill than most other people. People like Ryan Tannehill is grossly underrated. It's kind of unbelievable, the fact that people just completely ignore him. And I know there's a lot of frustration from 
Tennessee Titans fans saying, we don't get our due. Hey, let me give you some credit. I, I love your quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. I think he's clutch. I think he's really good when he's got a good running game. And he's made some throws that I am I walked away very impressed with. But hey, when he needs to drop back and win a game throwing the ball without a running game, and it's not all on him. It's the fact that their offensive line struggles with that. Their, their receivers struggle with that. Like, it's not just Ryan Tannehill's fault. I'm not trying to say that Ryan Tannehill is a lesser quarterback because he can't win a game dropping back with his arm. But the Titans are just simply not built to do that. They struggle on the offensive line when it comes to that. They, again, they struggle in the receiving game. They struggle in all aspects. They're just not built to win a game throwing a football. They're built to run the ball and use play action. So while I love Ryan Tannehill, I, Derek Henry, oh my goodness. Uh, the intro to Sunday Night Football is funny. It was like, I think it was Tim McGraw talking about how, imagine if you had a guy who with the strength of Hulk and the speed of Flash, that is Derek Henry. Like he's this incredibly gifted terrifying running back a guy that I could not even he's that guy like in eighth grade football where you're like oh he's running the ball oh my god get out of the way and and you hear that like in high school and sometimes in college football where there's a guy who is bigger and stronger than everybody when I played high school football uh my running back in high school was a guy who plays defensive end for the LA Rams Samson Ibukam unbelievable go watch Samson Ibukam highlights in high school football David Douglas high school it's terrifying he ran over South Salem High School against David Douglas at 20-something. Samson Ibukam running people over, dragging three tiny like people behind him because he's just bigger, stronger than everybody. That happens in high school football. That happens in college football, especially at the lower levels. I played low-level college football. In the NFL, that doesn't happen. You don't see a guy bigger and stronger than everybody who people are terrified of tackling except for Derrick Henry. That's what he is. I love Derrick Henry. I like Ryan Tannehill a lot. I like the Tennessee Titans. They're a good football team. They're a playoff team. But they're a team that will not win the Super Bowl. They just have too many limitations on defense. They can't win throwing the ball. If you get them in third and long, it's a big problem for them. And uh, not every playoff team has a true legitimate shot at a Super Bowl. The Tennessee Titans are one of those teams that are a good football team that simply will not win a Super Bowl. Okay, uh, let me drink some water real quick first. Fun topic right now. I'm about to do. I, I'm so excited for this next topic. Let's talk about the Chicago Bears quarterback Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, here is a fact. It's true. The Bears have a winning record with Mitchell Trubisky as their starting quarterback in 2020. They're eight and seven right now. They're fighting hard to get into the playoffs and. Uh, if Chicago does get into the NFL playoffs, it will be be because of their quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. And I have criticized Mitchell Trubisky very heavily in the past, and I, I, I stand by everything I've ever said about the guy. Uh, but I got to say, I'm, I, I'm very happy to see what he's done in the last couple weeks. I go, wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, I think he's fought really hard through a ton of criticism. The world, uh, especially Chicago, his local market, has been very, very hard on him. A lot of people, I think, don't have the resiliency to keep fighting, keep battling, and uh, keep believing in themselves to do what he's done recently. And I, I as a human being, I applaud Mitchell Trubisky. I, I, I really, I, just from the ability to keep playing well uh, and to keep fighting through adversity, I think it's pretty cool. I think he's playing very well recently. Kind of a weird situation right now. If you go 9-7 and seven to make the playoffs, can you fire your head coach, Matt Nagy? Can you replace your quarterback if you make the playoffs? I don't know. I, it's, it's a weird, the Bears are in a very, very weird situation right now. And another fact about the Bears is that when they get good, consistent quarterback play, they are a dangerous team. They can do a lot of damage in the NFL when they get good quarterback play. They've got some good weapons on offense. They've got some, I think, good ideas. People hate on Matt Nagy, and I get it. I understand. I think that Matt Nagy, there there have been times in Mitchell Trubisky's career where Trubisky's been handed people wide open and great schemes and great play design and not taken advantage. I'm telling you, people hate on Matt Nagy. He's done some good coaching in his career. He, in fact, he won coach of the year at one point. Like, people forget Matt Nagy can coach. And uh, when the Bears get good quarterback play, they're a good team. Now, in the last three games, Mitchell Trubisky has done some good stuff. He's made some good throws. He's been efficient. He's gotten rid of the—he's been good in quick game. He's made some good throws on third down. There's a throw on third 11. Uh, I think it was against the Jaguars. So I went, wow, that's a, that's a nice throw. Now, I will say uh, they beat Houston, who's 4-11. They beat uh, Minnesota, who's 
whatever, six and nine? Yeah, I think six and nine at this point of the year. They beat Jacksonville, who's got one win. Uh, so, wow, they, they've done, Trubisky's done well in the last three games. It's been against bad football teams. So that's like, ah, you can be skeptical if you want, especially given the history of Mitchell Trubisky. And we've also seen some bad stuff uh, in the Jaguars game. If you watch the game, you would know that the Jaguars dropped multiple interceptions where they, I mean, they should have walked away with three interceptions on Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky only threw one interception in that game. Uh, it was a frustrating bad interception where they had the ball on a 13-yard line in the red zone before halftime. Trubisky's extending the play, rolling right, throws the ball up into traffic, just up for grabs into the end zone, got picked off in the end zone. It's a bad decision. You got to just throw the ball away there. And I I mean, you're a fourth-year quarterback. That cannot happen. You can't have mistakes like that at this point in your career. Uh, Trubisky does stuff occasionally that is very, very frustrating. He's massively overshadowed by Deshaun Watson and uh, by Patrick Mahomes in his own draft class. However, again, he did beat Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson's a good quarterback on a horrible team. Trubisky's a—I mean, if you you flip the position, if you put Deshaun Watson on the Chicago Bears— Oh, my Lord. It would be uh, a different story. I mean, the Bears would be, what, 12-3 and three right now? Something like that. Uh, they'd be a much better team. So, <sighs> uh, too risky, right? Now, Week 17, you have the, Chicago, the, the Green Bay Packers at the Chicago Bears in Chicago. This is the biggest game of Mitchell Trubisky's career coming up on Sunday. The Packers are 12-3. and three. They're fighting hard to get the number one seed in the NFC. If they win and get the number one seed, then the Packers uh, would have a bye week in week one of the NFL playoffs during the wild card round. Now, the Bears are 8-9. and nine. They're trying to go 9-7. and seven. If they go 9-7, and seven, they automatically get into the playoffs. Now, they can still get into the playoffs if they lose because if the Cardinals lose and the Bears lose, then the, the, Car- the, the Chicago Bears still get into the playoffs. So, basically, the Bears, if the Bears win, they're in the playoffs. And if the Bears lose... And the Cardinals lose to the Rams, then the Bears would still get into the playoffs. Uh, Trubisky's looked good the last three weeks. He beat the Houston Texans, who have four wins. He beat the Minnesota Vikings, who have four wins. And his team beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, who have one win. So he's played very well against poor competition. Now, I have an open mind about Mitchell Trubisky. I'm very skeptical. I have been because of the past and because of the teams he's played. However... This is a huge game. You're playing the Green Bay Packers at home. Week 17, you're fighting to get into the playoffs. Let's see Mitchell Trubisky have a really good game against a really good defense. If he does that, hey, fair enough. Uh, People have been pushing back very, very hard on everything I have said about Mitchell Trubisky. And some of the stuff I think is fair. I think there have been... I think there have been moments in my criticism where I've crossed the line a little bit, gotten a little bit too personal. Fair, fair, totally agree. Fair enough. Uh, that's a fair criticism of mine and of me. Uh, but I, I think everything I've said about Trubisky, ab- about his play, about his mistakes, he's had some really bad, really ugly mistakes on film that are just inexcusable. So let's give Trubisky an opportunity. I want to see how he does against a really good Green Bay Packers team on Sunday. Does he show up? Does he play very well? Does he lead his team to victory? I don't know. Uh, I know he's played well against bad teams. Can he play well against a good team? And then, hey, if the Bears get into the playoffs, can he play well again in a wild card round playoff game? How does Mitchell Trubisky do against good, stiff competition? That's what I want to find out. Uh, But again, fact is right now, Trubisky playing well, if the Bears get into the playoffs, that is the reason why they did that. That's the reason why they would get into the playoffs. It's because of their quarterback, Trubisky. It's an undeniable fact. He's been playing very a very good, some pretty good football recently. And they got a winning record with him as their quarterback. And I have an open mind. Let's see how Trubisky does on Sunday. And I am hoping, and I'm happy to change my mind about the guy. I am hoping he does well against the Green Bay Packers. I'd love to see it. Uh, I don't root against anybody really. And I, I am very open. My, my mind is very open to see Trubisky play well and to support the guy as the Bears quarterback moving forward. If he can play well, against good competition on Sunday, and then in the playoffs down the road if they make it in. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, uh, we will talk about the Colts. We'll talk about the Steelers. We'll talk about the Browns. Uh, Later, we'll talk about the NFL playoffs. We'll talk about the Saints, the Buccaneers, uh, the the Buffalo Bills. Uh, And I'm I'm excited, guys. The, The biggest game of Mitchell Trubisky's life is up ahead. 
and I cannot wait to watch it next Sunday in Chicago. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. I uh, I want to give a shout out to something, a, a product that I look again. They're not sponsoring the show. I wish they did. Hey, if Burt's Bees wants to sponsor the podcast, please do go ahead. I just personally, there's something that's made the show way better. It's it's uh, lip balm. It's what do you call it? It's uh, like lip gloss. Uh, it's it's there's a better word for it. I don't know. I just know that there's a lot of people that watch and listen to this podcast that make their own content. And if you're talking for a lot of time. Uh, in a row, like if you're talking for a couple hours, like I do, uh, use you know, what do you, lip balm. I guess what, there's a better word for it. I wish I knew. Moisturizing lip balm. I, I guess my, my key piece of advice, my girlfriend's very, very smart. She is making me much more aware of how to make my life better and how to make talking a lot easier. And when you have dry lips, it's really, really hard. So buy the type of lip balm that is the first ingredient should say like seed oil or some kind of oil. Make sure it's the natural stuff. There's a certain kind of other type of lip balm that makes your lips actually drier. I think it's got, like, peppermint in it. Don't get that stuff. It's bad for you. But get the the natural lip balm. It's great. Uh, it really makes your life better, as I throw it over there. Uh, and it really um, it's made it easier to talk for a lot of time in a row on Strong Opinion Sports. Not a sponsorship. Wish they were. Hey, Burt's Bees, if you're out there, hit me up. I would love to do it. That's the first and only ever free spot you'll get. Uh, but I would love to uh, to... to talk about your products every week like i put it on i like dallas my lips it may, used to make me very uncomfortable now uh it's incredibly helpful so if you're out there you make youtube videos you have your own podcast i know people listen to the show that do have their own content uh go ahead and use it it made my life easier my life better on sunday the steelers beat the colts 28 to 24 the game was in pittsburgh and uh the colts had a at one point a 24 to 7 lead in the third quarter they had a 24 to 7 lead so they had a 21 to 7 lead at halftime then they kicked a field goal on their first drive of the third quarter. And so Pittsburgh had a late comeback. And it was actually very dire. In fact, Pittsburgh had a drive. They got stopped on the goal line. And I went, man, how does Pittsburgh... I knew that because I watched the game later. I'm like, I know they win this game, but it cannot be feeling good if you're a Pittsburgh fan. And in the end, uh, the game got close. It was fun. It was interesting. And uh, the Steelers won the game. And uh, the Colts had the ball. They had two chances to you know, get the game back in their favor. And they had the ball with six minutes left, Phillip Rivers doing an interception. And then later with two minutes left, the Colts had the ball again and they could not score to take the lead. And uh, it's kind of frustrating where, uh, number one, I thought that the the Steelers played very well. Uh, They've made mistakes. They've been imperfect. Uh, But, you know, they clinched the AFC North. They are now 12 and three. The Steelers won the game over the Colts, despite the fact that they only had 20 yards rushing in the entire game, which is pretty unbelievable. And uh, Big Ben played very, very well in the second half. I saw what I thought was the Big Ben of old. I went, oh, that's a Big Ben I remember, the Hall of Fame Big Ben, who can play very, very well when he's called upon. And I thought he made some great throws. The Finally, for the first time in quite a while, the Steelers made plays downfield. Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, you know, Deontay Johnson had a big touchdown on the right sideline. There were plays where I'm like, okay, finally, the Steelers are back making big plays down the field on offense. And uh, that kind of, you know, the key to the Steelers' offense really is taking shots downfield, drawing penalties, making plays. Like, if the Steelers aren't throwing the ball vertically, that's a problem, in my opinion, because they are capable of making big plays, but they have to take shots to do that. So I, that's what kind of my advice and my thing to look for if you're a Steelers fan moving forward. Your team has to take shots throwing the ball vertically downfield. And uh, if you take enough shots, good stuff can happen. And so now that's not a drinking reference. That's a football reference. Do not take shots expecting good things to happen. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I don't drink. I don't know. Uh, Now the Colts, in my opinion, could be very, very dangerous if they can make it into the playoffs. Now, unfortunately, in this game, uh, Phillip Rivers had not one but two opportunities to take the lead and reclaim and put the game back in the favor of the Colts, they were down 28-24 with six minutes left. Couldn't score. Then again, with two minutes, they couldn't score. And so on one hand, I would say the Colts are dangerous because on a good day, they can beat you throwing. They can beat you running. They play good defense. The Colts are a team that, if they get in, could do some damage in the playoffs. However, just from a personal standpoint, when I think about Phillip Rivers and the story of his career, I feel like I've gotten closure on... Uh, I've gotten closure in his career where I always wondered when I watched Philip Rivers in LA and in San Diego with the Chargers, 
I wondered what would happen if he was on a better team with a better organization that ran the ball well and had good playmakers and played good defense and had a good offensive line. And I always wondered, like, what could happen if Phillip Rivers was in a different situation? And uh, would things be different? And the answer is no. Uh, unfortunately, we've seen this year that Phillip Rivers on another team is a, a good quarterback with a, you know, he, he can do good stuff. And right now the Colts are 10-5. and five. They are the eighth seed in the NFL playoffs. There's a chance they get into the playoffs. Who knows? Really depends on probably whether or not Miami can win in Buffalo on Sunday. Uh, but I, I've just kind of I've accepted the fate of Phillip Rivers that he's a good quarterback who I think plays a little too emotionally. I don't think he plays well when it matters the most at the end of games. And Phillip Rivers makes a lot of mistakes that are just emotional. He, he had an interception with six minutes left in the game where. He's forcing a throw into double coverage downfield because he wants an, uh, he wants a touchdown. He wants a big play. He wants it rather than because it's a good play. And I've said that before about Philip Rivers, but I, you know, there have been too many bad moments with the Colts where I go, okay, we know what Philip Rivers is. He is exactly what we thought he was. He's a good quarterback who may or may not be a Hall of Famer, but uh, even on another team with a better roster and a better offensive line and a better defense. It's the same Philip Rivers who makes mistakes at the end of a game, makes emotional interceptions, and makes emotional bad plays. And uh, I, I, for that reason, the answer to the question I've always wondered, you know, will things be different on a different team? They won't be. And for that reason, I've gotten closure with the Philip Rivers story and his career. Now, the shock of the, uh, the week on Sunday, the shock of NFL Week 16 was that the New York Jets beat the Cleveland Browns 23-16. I could not have seen this coming. The Jets, in fact, were up 20-3 to at one point in this game. And I, I just believe that the New York Jets deserve some credit. They've been playing very, very well. Uh, they've won two games in a row. And, you know, they beat the Rams two weeks ago. They beat the, the Browns now. They basically beat two playoff teams or two playoff caliber teams two weeks in a row. And uh, in my opinion, really, the, the key takeaway here is that there is now a proof that, in my opinion, Sam Darnold, and we've seen it all along, Sam Darnold very quietly, without getting much recognition, makes a lot of big plays. I, I think of the play against the 49ers where he's, like, running to the left. He flips his hips, throws the ball right up over a defender, like, inches over the guy's hands and gets a big play. I mean, he makes a lot of plays. People just do not pay attention to because they're a terrible franchise. So Sam Darnold can play somewhere now hopefully he does not play for the Jets next year personally I want to see Sam Darnold get a fresh start and the, the Jets might choose to build around Sam Darnold I get it if they do because they have a great draft pick they could draft the tackle out of Oregon and be very excited and build their team and use the high draft picks they have uh, but I, I just want to see Sam Darnold get a fresh start for his own sake and get a chance to uh, do his own thing and build his career anew uh, with another organization in the NFL now, the Browns were 10-4 and four going into this game. Losing to the Jets felt like an unthinkable thing. There's no way the Browns are going to lose to the New York Jets, and they did. Now, context does matter. Uh, the Browns were hit by COVID pretty hard. They lost their left tackle, Jedrick Wills. All four of their top receivers were out in this game. Uh, they were missing two linebackers. I mean, literally, Baker Mayfield was throwing to practice squad receivers. And the Browns' second-leading receiver after their tight end in this game uh, against the Jets, Jamarcus Bradley, was the second-leading receiver for the Cleveland Browns. He's a rookie receiver who just got elevated off of the practice squad. That's not good. I mean, that's I don't need to tell you that's not good. You have Baker throwing back-shoulder fades to Jamarcus Bradley, a rookie off the practice squad. So context does matter. The defense is banged up. The offensive line is banged up. He's got none of his top receivers because of COVID. Uh, now, still, in spite of all that, you go, how did Cleveland lose this game? Right? They're 10-4 and four against the 1-13 and 13 Jets. You don't lose the game. And they did. So, even more context, again, top receivers out, left tackle out. The, the Browns only ran the ball for 45 yards on the day. They struggled to run the football. And so, in this moment, when you have all these players missing, you can't run the ball, you need your starting quarterback, Baker Mayfield, to step up. And win the game for you. And unfortunately, Baker Mayfield didn't step up. Unfortunately, Baker Mayfield uh, was not up for the task. I like Baker. I, I support Baker a lot of the time. I, Whenever I can, I like to talk about Baker Mayfield. And I, My job, though, is to not be a fanboy and not be uh, to, to be honest and call things like I see it. And so 
this game's on Baker, and he took the responsibility, took the credit. I, I know that the context was bad, missing receivers, missing a left tackle. However, you still got to beat the Jets. I, you can't afford to do what they did, and uh, the first fumble Baker Mayfield had, he had three fumbles on the day. The first one led to a Jets touchdown. Uh, then later, the Browns had the ball twice at the end of the game with a chance to take the lead and then a chance to tie the game. They had the ball down four points. Then later, they had the ball down seven points at the end of the game. And uh, both times when the Browns needed a drive from their young quarterback, Baker Mayfield, he fumbled. He fumbled on a fourth down to end the game, really to turn over the ball on downs on a fourth down to give the Jets the ball so they could uh, kneel the clock out. Uh, down four points. Uh, Baker had another fumble that led to a Jets field goal. So it's a tough situation, but when your team needs you, when they can't run the ball, the offensive line is struggling, your top receivers are out, you need your quarterback to take care of the ball and step up to the task and do well. And Baker didn't. And I, I, I really respected that he took the blame for the loss. I thought that, again, he was not in a good situation, but you got to be better in that moment. And the Browns did the unthinkable. They lost to the, to the New York Jets. I mean, that's just like, oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? So, I, I, again, I'm glad Baker took the blame. He deserves the blame. That is why. I mean, someone has to take the blame. I mean, I looked around. I'm like, how did this happen? How did the Browns lose to the Jets? And whose fault is it? And it's Baker Mayfield's fault. And I feel comfortable saying that. Now, uh, so week 17, the Steelers play the Browns. It's a big game coming up. Uh, the Steelers already are in the playoffs. They have clinched a playoff berth. They have clinched the AFC North. Now, they are not the number one seed. They're not fighting for the number one seed. The number one seed has been secured by the Kansas City Chiefs. So basically, uh, the the Steelers don't care. The Steelers like, we, we're resting our quarterback. Uh, we're in the playoffs. This game, week 17, is kind of meaningless to us. So they are resting their quarterback. And Mason Rudolph, their backup quarterback, will be the starting quarterback between the Browns and the Steelers week 17. Here's why this game is exciting. Two reasons. Number one, last time Mason Rudolph played against the Cleveland Browns, there's the infamous moment where you had, you know, Miles Garrett swinging the helmet at Mason Rudolph, getting suspended and fined, and uh, he's, you know, he's back. So the game ended in a brawl, basically. And you can, you know, the, 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 the reasoning for that uh, helmet swinging event. Some say certain things. Some say I, I don't. I, I wasn't in the huddle. I don't know what was said. Some people say. My point is that there was a brawl at the end of the game. It's a big deal, and I can only imagine that the Cleveland Browns are very excited to put some hits on Mason Rudolph in Week 17. I, I can't wait to see what happens. Now Cleveland is 10 and 5. Currently, they are the number seven seed in the AFC playoff picture. They need to win to get into the playoffs. And so it's a home game. It's the early window on Sunday. Can the Cleveland Browns beat the Pittsburgh Steelers week 17 to get into the playoffs? And can they do it beating Mason Rudolph, who I think would be kind of fun to watch. Like I get his head bashed in uh, as he is. Hey, let me be less violent. Watch him get sacked and thrown to the turf by Miles Garrett. I think it'd be quite fun. I'm not a huge fan of Mason Rudolph, given what happened last year. And uh, I would uh, very much enjoy watching the guy get thrown to the turf. Happy to make sides. I, I think I, I, I don't. I don't want to see the guy get beat up or anything like that, but I, hey, you sack him, you have some brownie points, you get a, like Miles Garrett having a great game. I would be very, very happy to see that, and we'll see what happens on Sunday. Should be a great game between the Steelers and the Browns, Week 17. Now the AFC Wild Card picture is well, it's wild. It's it's really uh, the the AFC playoff picture in general is pretty wild. Uh, there are five teams right now that are ten and five. And the AFC. Now, only four of those five teams are going to make it into the playoffs. So that means we could have an 11-win team in the AFC not make the playoffs, which is pretty crazy and unbelievable. Uh, I don't. I think it's only ever happened like twice so far in the NFL history. Uh, there, right now, you have the fourth seed, the Tennessee Titans. They're 10 and five. The the Miami Dolphins, the fifth seed, are 10 and five. Uh, you also have the Baltimore Ravens with the sixth seed, the Cleveland Browns with the seventh seed. And the Indianapolis Colts with the number eight seed. All five teams are 10 and five. Only four get in. And you need to win for a shot at the NFL playoffs, AFC playoff uh, race. So the Titans play Houston. They're four and 11. Uh, they're four and 11. We'll see what happens. We'll see if the Titans can beat Houston. I would think they can. Uh, the Colts play the one and four Jacksonville Jaguars. That feels like a winnable game, in my opinion. Although I will say the Jaguars beat the Colts week one. 
the only game the Jaguars have won all year. I would imagine, though, that the Colts are looking to get into the playoffs. They're angry. They're upset. They're ready to win that game, especially to get revenge from week one, the embarrassing loss. The Ravens play the Cincinnati Bengals. I'd be surprised if the Bengals beat the Ravens, despite the fact the Bengals are playing very well recently. Uh, Now, you also have the Cleveland Browns playing the Pittsburgh Steelers at home. The game is in Cleveland. The Steelers are resting their starters. Big Ben, the starting quarterback for the Steelers, is not playing in that game. I would imagine the Browns win that game. So you have Tennessee probably winning, the Colts probably winning, uh, the, what is it, the Browns probably winning, and the Ravens probably winning. Those are four games against teams with bad records. Now, the hardest route into the playoffs right now for any 10-5 team in the AFC playoff race is the Miami Dolphins. They have the hardest route into the playoffs right now. They play the Buffalo Bills in Buffalo on Sunday. The Miami Dolphins at the Buffalo Bills. The Dolphins are 10-5. and five. The Bills are 12-3. and three. Now, the Bills have clinched a playoff berth. They already won the division, so... It's possible they're less motivated for the game. But also, if you can knock your division rival out of the playoffs, that feels pretty good, and that would be very fun. Now, last time the Bills played, they played Week 2. The Bills played the Dolphins Week 2. The Bills beat the Dolphins 31-28. to And I would imagine, I personally believe that the Bills are a better team all around. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the Dolphins are led by their defense. Tua is playing to start the game. I personally think that Ryan Fitzpatrick might be the right quarterback to start that game. I don't know that Tua is... I love Tua. He's my favorite player in the NFL. I literally own a Tua Tungvaloa jersey. I think that personally Ryan Fitzpatrick should probably start the game. He played very well against the Raiders last week in the fourth quarter. He's a reason why they beat the Raiders. Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think, has an ability to throw the ball against coverages and see open receivers that Tua cannot quite recognize as open right now. Uh, There are throws that Ryan can make downfield that Tua cannot because I think that Tua's definition of open is a little more reserved than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick is like, yeah, by NFL standards, you're open by an inch. I can make that throw. He pulls the trigger. So it should be a wild, fun game. We'll see if Ryan Fitzpatrick plays in the game. Uh, But 10-5 and Dolphins at 12-3 and Buffalo. That's the game of the week next week. And we will see which of the five... 10 and 5 teams right now. Only four get in. Which of those teams is not going to make it into the AFC playoff picture? We'll find out. I'm very excited. Uh, one of the five teams is going to miss out on the playoffs, and we'll see what happens on Sunday. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about the Saints. We'll talk about the Buccaneers. We will end with the Buffalo Bills. Should be a very short segment coming up, but I, I got to rest my voice and, uh, I'm excited. We'll talk about good stuff up ahead. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Uh, you can't hear it, but there's a rainstorm outside. It's very, very crazy, very hard rain uh, pelting against the windows. My dad just sent me an article. Uh, it's titled, it's by Pro Football Talk, uh, Mike Florio. The NFL has a potential Week 17 mess on its hands. Basically, the article details the fact that the Browns are in the middle of a gigantic mess with covid uh, they're having an outbreak after outbreak after outbreak. Players keep more and more players keep testing positive and getting put on the NFL uh, COVID uh, reserve list. So basically, the Browns are going to be very, very shorthanded against Pittsburgh on Sunday. I just talked about the game a lot. I'm very interested in that game and how it works out. And uh, unfortunately, the game can't get moved back because you have a the NFL playoffs coming up. You have the AFC playoff uh, race. You have the wild card round in two weeks from now. So if you move the game back from Sunday to Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, you're then impacting the Pittsburgh Steelers' ability to prepare for the playoffs. So you can't move the game back. That'd be a huge, it'd be massively unfair to do that, to have the Steelers have to play a game on Wednesday, then turn around and play a playoff game only a couple of days later. And I guess, do you cancel the game? Like, what, what is going to happen here? I don't know. All I'm saying is that there's a story developing here worth following with COVID and how the Browns are being affected by COVID and how that the COVID is going to affect the, the Browns chances to get into the playoffs. Does the game even happen? Do they play a game with a massive amount of people missing coaches, players, all kinds of stuff. You can't move back the game. Do you, do you make it an NFL week 18 game and then move this, the regular season back a week just for the Browns Steelers game? Uh, I have no idea. I don't know what's going to happen here, but keep your eye on the Steelers Browns game. Something's going to go on there. And uh, whether it be a postponement or a cancellation or a game with 
I mean, this is my big problem with the NFL this year is you have people playing games with just no preparation. It, it just it's really frustrating to watch teams play games completely nerfed. And I I talked about it on my other podcast, Flawed Humans. Like it's really really frustrating to watch NFL games happen where one team doesn't have their quarterback or doesn't have their entire coaching staff. Like it's kind of it's crazy to me that teams are playing games completely handicapped. And unfortunately, that could happen to the Cleveland Browns and really, really ruin their season. I mean, keep them out of the playoffs and damage everything they've been doing all year. So we'll see what happens. But there's a nightmare going on right now with the Cleveland Browns. And then how do you handle that? You can't postpone the game. You can't move it back. What do you do there? I don't know. So we will find out. Keep your eye on the Browns-Steelers game on Sunday. I want to go back to Christmas Day. On Christmas Day, the New Orleans Saints beat the Minnesota Vikings 52-33. to now, Drew Brees had a great game. Uh, great is relative. People will look at his stat line and go, well, Drew Brees had two interceptions, and I hear you. Uh, he was 19 for 26 passing at 311 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. Alvin Kamara uh, tied the all-time record for rushing touchdowns in a game. Alvin Kamara, the Saints running back, had 155 yards rushing, and not one, not two, not three, not four, but six total rushing touchdowns. Pretty unbelievable, pretty crazy, fun performance and uh, he only had one, like, big run. He had, like, a 40-yard run for a touchdown. Other than that, every other Alvin Kamara run for a touchdown was, like, a, a five, six, four, seven, one-yard run. So the Saints were primarily moving the football, throwing the ball. And I've heard a lot of people talk about how the Saints might be akin to the 2015 Denver Broncos, where you, you have Drew Brees and maybe his final year with the Saints as a quarterback. And uh, people talk about how the Denver Broncos were pulling an limp, you know, really— pulling along a beat-up Peyton Manning to win a Super Bowl. The Saints are not limping around with a beat-up quarterback. The Saints have a really high... A quarterback is playing at a high level, Drew Brees. Drew Brees is not being... you know. So, for for example, I guess, in 2015, the Denver Broncos quarterback, Peyton Manning, did not start every game. Uh, He lost his job for a little while to Brock Osweiler. He had nine touchdowns passing and 17 interceptions. Like, Peyton Manning was awful his final year. That is not Drew Brees. Drew Brees is not awful. He's very capable. Uh, The Saints have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl this year, in my opinion. And while Drew Brees is not the the person and the quarterback he used to be, he still is capable of playing at a high level. And I I think part of why I believe this could be Drew Brees' final year is he is waning. He's not the same quarterback he used to be, but he's he's still capable of playing at a high level. And I think Drew Brees is the kind of guy who wants to go out where he can still play well. I don't think Drew Brees wants a year playing like Peyton Manning where he's just dog awful and is being pulled along by his team as he's limping to the playoffs. So uh, the Saints, I just want to be clear, the Saints do not have a quarterback who's terrible. The Saints have a quarterback who's not exactly where he used to be, but Drew Brees can still move the ball at a high level. They are primarily moving the ball, throwing the football. And despite the fact that Alvin Kamara had a lot of touchdowns, again, Alvin Kamara wasn't the only way the Saints were moving the ball on Sunday, or I guess on, on Friday night, Christmas Day, against the Minnesota Vikings. And I just encourage people, be very, very careful with how you talk about Drew Brees. He's not some schlub who can't play. Like, Drew Brees is still playing at a good le- high level, and uh, the Saints have an opportunity to win a Super Bowl this year in the NFL playoffs. Now, on Saturday, the Buccaneers beat the Lions 47-7, to uh, a very unimpressive win, in my opinion. Now, like, Cool. Like, you shouldn't, if you're going to beat the Lions, you should do it dominating them. But here's the context of what happened on Saturday between the Lions and the Buccaneers, the Buccaneers and the Lions. Uh, the Lions were missing a ton of key, key, uh, key coaches. The Lions were missing their head coach. They were missing their defensive coordinator. They were missing their offensive coordinator. And again, I, I've talked about this before. My frustration with this year's NFL season is you're seeing teams playing games completely handicapped in inappropriate ways where you when would you play a game in football normally without your coach without your defensive coordinator and your offensive coordinator without your starting quarterback you wouldn't and so it's really frustrating to watch teams like the Detroit Lions get thrown out there during the week with no coach and no quarterback and just a mess uh, getting blown out horribly it's just awful now it's worth noting the reason why they didn't have the quarterback is because uh, Matthew Stafford the quarterback got hurt basically immediately in this game hurt his ankle limped off the off the field and so you have the Detroit Lions playing without a coach a coordinator on offense and defense no quarterback you know Chase Daniel at quarterback I believe that's their backup quarterback like it was it was an awful game uh and I will say this though the Tampa Bay Buccaneers looked very very 
uh, in sync on offense. Tom Brady did not play the entire second half because the Buccaneers were up 34 to nothing at halftime. Uh, Tom Brady was 22 of 27 passing for 348 yards and four touchdowns in just the first and second quarter. Did not play the entire second half. Now, with context, you remember that Blaine Cabert also had two touchdowns in this game, had like 119 yards passing. Like, basically anybody who played for the Buccaneers that day was going to shred the Detroit Lions because they had, had no coaching and no quarterback and just were a gigantic mess. But I do want to put this out there. Before the playoffs start, I want to be very, very clear about my opinion on the Buccaneers. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are dangerous. They play week 17 against Atlanta at home. The Buccaneers are 10 and 5. They're probably going to be 11 and 5 going into the playoffs. They likely will be the number 5 seed in the NFC. And if the Buccaneers are the number 5 seed in the NFC, they're going to play the NFC East winner, meaning they're going to play either the Washington football team or the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Giants in the wild card round of the playoffs. That sounds like a winnable game to me. So They've got momentum going into the playoffs. They're going to play an easier game in the wild card round. Even more momentum is going to grow and build. And the Buccaneers are getting hot at the right time. They're playing bad football teams. They're playing good football. They look in sync. Their offense is finally running at a high level. And I'm telling you, Tom Brady with a good defense and a really good receiving core who can run the ball, the best football, when the Buccaneers play their best football, it's terrifying. Remember, the Buccaneers beat the Packers 38-10. to 10. Like, the Buccaneers are capable of incredible, incredible stuff. And so I am telling you right now, if things happen in the right sequential order, with the right circumstances, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can absolutely win a Super Bowl. If they play their best football at the end of the year, keep your eye on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They could make some noise and win a Super Bowl this year. And by the way, the Super Bowl is in Tampa. I am telling you right now, keep your eye on on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They could win a Super Bowl. They're a very capable football team. They got a great quarterback. They got a ton of great weapons on offense. They got a really good defense that when their defense plays well, when their team plays well, their best football can beat anybody, including Kansas City. They are a terrifyingly good team when they play their best football. Now, they're a very streaky team. They've had really highs and really low lows. So, I don't know what team's going to show up in the playoffs, but if they play show up and play their best football, as they appear to be doing right now, getting hotter and hotter, playing better and better football as the year goes on and ramping up their season, keep your eye on the Buccaneers. Now, there's one other piece of information I think is interesting about Tampa Bay right now. By adding Tom Brady, the Buccaneers made the playoffs for the first time since 2007. That's crazy. Oh, yeah, by the way, the New England Patriots did not make the playoffs for the first time since 2008. So that's the Tom Brady effect where there's an Instagram post. I literally stole the Instagram post saying that uh, you add Tom Brady and make the playoffs. You lose Tom Brady. You don't make the playoffs. And so on one hand, I think it really speaks to Tom Brady's ability to elevate his team. I thought the Patriots had no business being in the playoffs last year. They had a really good defense, a terrible offense, no weapons, all kinds of a mess. And I think that the biggest thing you can say about Tom Brady, that Tom Brady does not have Aaron Rodgers level of talent. Uh, but Aaron Rodgers had some dark years under Mike McCarthy that were awful in the NFL. Brady's never had that kind of year. Brady's never had a year where his team was awful and ever playing in the NFL. And some of that is uh, the situation. He got lucky, had a great coach. But also this year, what we're seeing from Tom Brady is that he has, A, a will and a drive to build a team. But he also can galvanize and, and really help people around him. He makes people around him better. And Tom Brady, I, I just... Uh, Another really thing you got to give him credit for, the self-awareness to go to Tampa Bay to say, hey, I'm going to go to Tampa. I'm going to make sure that I have good players around me, and I'm going to elevate that team. He chose the right fit for him. He went to a good football team, had good weapons on offense, and great receivers. And uh, I, I just I think Tom Brady deserves some credit for the team he chose to go to. I'm sure he could have gone to other teams. Like People were saying that Tom Brady could have gone to the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, is that true or not? think it's true I, I know some people in that building I, I would tell you I'm pretty sure that the Las Vegas Raiders would have been happy to have Tom Brady Tom Brady chose not to go there and I think that deserves some credit Tom Brady chose to go to the place that fit him the best where he had the best opportunity to win football games and so uh very very cool Tom Brady deserves some credit I think in my opinion for having self-awareness understanding his limitations understanding what he's good at and picking a team that could help him win down the road now, the final thing I want to say in this entire episode, on Monday Night Football, the Bills beat the Patriots 38 
to nine. And uh, first of all, I'm happy for Buffalo. There's a new sheriff in town in the AFC East. I, I cannot imagine how excited Buffalo Bills fans are to to sweep the Patriots, to beat the Patriots twice in one year, and to end the year, week 16, I know there's one game left, but to end your, your basically come to an end with your season, beating the tar out of the New England Patriots, it has to feel good. I mean, how many years in a row have the Buffalo Bills been the little brother to the New England Patriots and feeling like crap? Oh, that's no more, right? You are now the older brother. You're you're the top dog, and that's got to feel good. I'm really happy for Buffalo. Uh, Josh Allen was 26, or sorry, was 27 for 36 passing in this game at 320 yards, four touchdowns. Stephon Diggs, nine catches, 145 yards, three total receiving touchdowns. Stephon Diggs, the receiver for the Bills, might be the best addition any team has made in all of 2020. They traded for him from the Minnesota Vikings. He has elevated their offense, made Josh Allen way better. Josh Allen's made himself way better. He looks really confident. And uh, I just, I really, I like Buffalo. Their story is compelling. They're really cool. Josh Allen's awesome. And uh, I remember, myself included, there were a lot of people very, very critical and really, really... um, I think the word is people were just not sure. Like, there was not a lot of faith of Josh Allen coming into the league. People were very skeptical and concerned. And Josh Allen has worked incredibly hard. Uh, he's he's grown a ton as a player. And I, I love that. I love seeing that a guy who works really hard have that hard work pay off and become uh, an MVP candidate. That's really, really cool. And so uh, shout out to Josh Allen. And then, you know, I really want to see what kind of changes the New England Patriots make in the offseason they need a new quarterback. They got a lot of cap space. They can, they're can. they going to make a lot of moves, I would imagine, free agency. Um, what's going to happen in New England? Are they going to really rejuvenate their team? Remember, they had a bunch of players opt out. Those players will be back next year, I would assume. Um, and even more interesting, really, is that, you know, I think Cam Newton's very frustrated. There's no way Cam Newton goes back to the Patriots. And uh, I heard Cam Newton give a quote basically saying that the process of playing for Bill Belichick is very, very hard. And when you're winning, that process is worth it. But when you're losing, the grind, the the football that's not fun, like the reason why Bill Belichick works is because he wins. He's hard on players. People are, again, it's not really the fun central of the NFL, but the criticism of the Patriots that they're not fun was always combated by saying, well, they win. So winning is fun. Hello. But if you're having the schedule and the grind and the culture of New England and you're not winning games, that would wear thin eventually. So I am fascinated by the Patriots' future. Do they get a quarterback? Who do they add? Do people want to play for Bill Belichick? I would think probably, but you only play for Bill Belichick if you're very, very serious about winning and you're okay with a lot of really hard work. And so, I don't know, keep your eye on the Patriots. Do they come back? And how? what does that look like? I don't know, uh, but I'm really, 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 really fascinated with what the Patriots do in this coming offseason, really all over the team. They need weapons on offense. They need a quarterback. They need all kinds of stuff, and I want to, I'm I'm just, I'm so fascinated as the season comes to an end and we look ahead to the offseason. What are the Patriots going to do this offseason to make their team better? All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much. I love you. I appreciate you. I, uh, I'm going to go. Uh, the rain has just ended. I, it literally just, it's crazy. Like I, I work hard to make it so you can't hear that. Like, I don't know if you can hear the squeaking noise. I'm, re- I'm replacing my table, uh, in like two days. So soon there will not be a squeaky table that makes a loud sound when I hit it. Um, replacing it with a wood table I got from Ikea. It should be much better. Uh, guys, I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. But I'm bum. Bam. We are.